And we are live for the First Strike Podcast. Your host, KYT. But before we start the show, got to plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic of the Gathering singles. This week's store promotion is not singles related, not product related. All that stuff happened during Black Friday, during Cyber Monday, and you can expect more sales to come in the coming week, and especially with Boxing Day Boxing Day on the horizon. But this week, we're promoting the F2F Tour Series that's happening next year. It's bigger and better. More paths to the Pro Tour, to the Player Store, actually, now that it's called. And uh, we also had, I mean, we ended the year, this year's uh, F2F tournament series, with a bunch of Open Plus events, three of them. One of one is won by, just recently won, by our man, Final Nub, Jonathan Zhang. And I couldn't be happier that he gets to play Players Tour Phoenix. And I was just filled with joy when I heard that he won. Uh, congratulations again, John. Thanks, Carr. Uh, it was certainly, uh, you know, I- I've talked about my first uh, PT PT experience being a wash and you know ever since then I've been you know working to get another chance so I can just you know leverage my skills I've gained and network I've built etc to just get another crack you know and uh, yeah I was feeling very good about this I talked about Eldrazi Tron on this show last week and the week before and uh, yeah sometimes uh, sometimes it works out it's it's incredible um, I'm just gonna get, get some get these guys in quickly uh, Andy your, re- your reaction well I was uh, you, you and me we were like uh it's we weren't there but we were like birding and talking about it the whole day especially like after we knew that he made top eight and uh ever since john's like sob story about his last pro tour i really wanted him to to come back because i think he's like incredible at uh the game at theorizing about the game and thinking about it and i was just really was hoping he would get his uh shot sooner rather than later and it's uh, pretty exciting that he's going to get a shot at the exact same time as me. So we actually get to play the, the Pro Tour together. And I imagine we'll, some capacity, work together for the Pro Tour. And I, I think that's really exciting. I just, me and John, we have very different styles when it comes to like thinking about Magic, our preparation, and even like the kind of decks we like to play. But I think, uh, I don't know, it just shows that you can like see success in many ways with Magic. John's one of the hardest working people I've ever interacted with and how hard he works sometimes. And it's good to see it uh, pay off for him. Uh, Elliot, oh, your reaction. And now the pressure of being one of the, the few active playing co-hosts to, to not be qualified to Phoenix yet. Well, I, on the bright side, I am going anyway. So I do have the LCQs as a last stitch effort. Uh, I can definitely feel the pressure. And I know that um, it's like extra because everyone's like, rooting for me as well everyone wants me to be there to like play the tournament with them not just um but you know despite all the extra pressure i'm feeling i couldn't be more happy for john uh we were i was like laying in bed getting updates from kyt who's getting updates from someone else on what was happening his match i was like you you dm me like all right he's against devoted druid yeah who's favorite how does the match of play out and i'm like well you know it's it's not it's not looking good <laughs> to say the least uh you, you like hey, i think he lost game one as well so it's just like i don't know i i was in the dark until i just get the he did it and couldn't be more happy we were excited yeah yeah john i don't know how aware of you of how closely I was trying to sweat it and, and just like 
just trying to get a grasp like with with Elliot asking his expertise and, and trying to get a good grasp of like your percentage and uh yeah I was going pretty nuts and it's funny though like um the week before the the open plus I was asking you to help me promote I was tagging other people that that I knew you Warren Smith Tobias Ruse uh to to just promote the open plus and as a result over 150 players came to compete and I mean, it's sort of counterproductive because, you know, you want less people to show up, but I guess the right amount of people to show up so that the pairings worked out so that you ended up winning. So, I mean, butterfly effect, I wouldn't go back and change anything. Uh, but let, let's get straight to your deck on um, your, your choice of Eldrazi Tron and uh, what you thought about it. Well, before before I go on, I, I just got to touch on that again. Um, there was a bunch of people from uh, Washington who came to join us, and a lot of people were saying that, "Hey, what what is going on? This is like much larger than the last Vancouver Open." And as usual, face to face like puts on a great show, and obviously adding the PTQ invite uh, for the first place changed that. But I, I'm pretty sure we easily had like 200, 250 at the same time doing side events and all that. So it was an awesome, awesome event. Um, in terms of the deck choice, um, those who follow me on Twitter or th- those who have been listening to me uh, on the show shouldn't be that surprised at it. I've been gushing about Eldrazi Tron as one of the best, if not the best deck right now. Uh, um, and it's a deck that has a propensity to not get the respect because, you know, there's a meme of, hey, oh, man, you assemble uh, turn three Tron worse than green Tron and your nut draw is turn three, two, three, two matter reshaper. And to be fair, I was one of them too, and getting rid of that stigma was one of the hardest things for me to do then. And I think it's generally speaking, it's it's a it's a flaw that many Magic players have, you know, using having their own uh, preconceived notions and biases, and you know, not being able to get over that to make the best decision. And you know, I, I was I've been watching Yama Killer on Twitch, who's been crushing it with the with the deck, um, winning multiple modern challenges with that. With it, I'm just um, noting that Matus F, who is the uh, trophy leader for the mo- modern competitive league, have like by far like he has like ten more uh, trophies than anyone else. They also have been playing uh, Etron, and a bunch of other good grinders like uh, uh, Xwell people have been on Etron. And you know, at that point, I'm just like you know, I have my previous biases, but it's there, there's plausible logic that support this possible like this hypothesis that this deck is no good. Karn the Great Creator package can now uh, help you nut draw and win against even your worst matchups like Green Tron or Humans, for example. Blast Zone is uh, also very helpful because you're an expedition map deck and you can actually, you know, tutor for a sweeper against your worst matchups like Humans and all that. And just having those two new uh, cards in the new package, it, it made sense to me that it's possible that we don't that this uh, this deck is no longer a joke and it could be good. So I've been putting a lot of work into it. Um, as uh, Andy may um, alluded to a bit, I do work very hard, and uh, you know I'm not the greatest Magic player, but I, I try to make it up, make up for it with like preparation and theory crafting. So I actually put a hundred uh, matches in with uh, Etron over two weeks to just try to prove this uh, hypothesis out, and I was winning a lot, and all the decks, uh, the play felt good as well. So it passed my sniff test beyond the number. So I was very happy to fist pump slam. Uh, slam dunk uh, register Etron, and uh, I'm I'm very happy with it. Um, wow, a, a lot a lot um, to ask to go get from that. Um, but I, well, let's let's start with the the Swiss. Did it go pretty smoothly matchup wise? Yeah, I think so. And uh, 
you know, like before every tournament, you really want to form your uh, metagame expectations. And I expected a lot of Shadow. I expected a lot of uh, E-Tron, Mirror, Tron, uh, stuff like Red Aggro, stuff like that. And it did an Infect. Infect was actually uh, on, on the top of my radar. And um, it, it really did go according to plan, so to speak. The only loss I've had in the Swiss, I finished 6-1-1, was against a friend on Stomach Urza, uh, Teamer Urza, which I had a favorable matchup. But um, just freak accidents happened and I lost. But um, other than that, it's like, you know, I played against, like, uh, Burn. I played against, like, Infect. I played against, like, Etron. Like, I had all, everything went according to plan. I was very prepared for all the matches, matches that I, um, I faced. And, yeah, like, this, this is the benefit of preparing beforehand, you know, preparing your uh, detailed uh, sideboard notes, preparing, like, thinking about uh, what you might be able, what, what you might play against. And when you do that beforehand, you know, you save a lot of mental energy and you're never really surprised by anything that happens, uh, even though this is modern. So, yeah, um, kind of according to plan. I think, I think while sweating the topic, getting news from my quote-unquote sources, um, I was getting, as we talked about right at the beginning of the show, I was getting panicky about your matchups and it looked like the, the top eight might not play in a way that you were favored to win it yeah certainly uh, i don't know the top eight was um first of all a shout out to the vancouver magic chat that i'm in four out of the top eight and six out of the top 10 were from the chat well, that's clearly, crazy. <laughs> yeah clearly our group or the chat has like a lot of talent and uh you know we're joking before the warren was joking before the uh event in the chat that you know like we're going to take over the top eight and we're going to represent and we did um as for my top eight here um it was there was a lot of adversity in my opinion i was on the draw as an eighth seed the entire time i had to break serve against infect against the locals uh sarah who's a very good player as well and then i had i had to face the mirror on the draw which is very disadvantageous given that you know you're a mirror but you know uh turn three ghost quarter or turn three card the great creator or thought not seer can be backbreaking for you and in the finals i was up against another bad matchup on the draw uh my good <laughs> friend paul who i believe uh keith is going to publish a article based on his deck devoted druid and this is the deck that i believe elliot and Andy have been either touting or have been talking about, which is more of a turbo uh, devoted druid uh, combo deck with Simeon Spirit Guys, post, uh, post-mortem lunges, Eladamary's Call, etc., etc. So it's much faster than your normal, um, your normal devoted druid deck. So it, it was certainly a very tough matchup to try to win, especially on the draw. The one thing I did do that... Um, that I changed from the normal net deck is to replace one searching for one dismember, specifically noting that um, I expect a lot of this uh, Urza, Death Shadow, Infect, and Devoted Druid, and the difference between one and two mana there, and being able to kill Urza and Gurmag Anglers night and day. So I did add the third dismember, and you know it feels really great when you uh, when your prediction um, uh, become comes into fruition because I did play Infect twice, and you know uh, dismember in the finals against helped immensely. So I would say that the path to the win was not at all easy. I was on the draw. I had some bat bat matchups, so bat matches to be on the draw against. But you know sometimes you're lucky, and sometimes you're there. Well, I think Andy. It's someone that I message because, like, we, we, we joke on this show when Gold to Cat has, has come on the show twice and he goes all galaxy brain on us. And I, I'm just like, wow, just really amazed at how his brain works. But then um, you don't realize I talked to Andy when you're passionate about the deck and you're constantly tweeting or talking about it in our private chat. I go to Andy. My, I'm, I'm, I'm getting reminded why Andy called you 
the guy at the beginning. Like, I think once you start to become part of our crew, I've, I've lost track about how mesmerized I am by you. Like, and, and I mean, I mean, Andy, you share my, you share my feelings. He's, he's, it didn't matter. Bad matchup in top eight doesn't matter. On the draw doesn't matter. It's so funny because like I go to a tournament and I, I almost sort of cyborg guide because like I change my mind all the time. I change my mind in a match constantly. I change my mind based on the field, play draw. If I see a certain card from them, and I feel like John's the opposite. He'll like write it down meticulously. He'll never stray, just because he's put in so much more. Right? And he wants to save the sideboarding energy. Uh, and I, I will. Sorry, Andy. I will add that. Um, just I try to make it a guideline, and I try to adjust to things I see. But because uh, my, my short-term memory is really bad, and you know, sometimes like you have new, sometimes you have like new. Um, new matchups or new decks that you're picking up, it's not plausible for you to be uh, uh, operating at 100% uh, mental capacity. Um, during the tournaments, I try to, this is just like a tool for me to like, a guide for me to, to help me out. But certainly you make a very good point that you really uh, cyborg guide, but you got to be very flexible with it. Um, the more reps you have with the deck, I believe, the more you can make those adjustments. The less you have, the more rigid I tend to be. And given that I was just picking up Etron, like this is the first time I played it in paper, I wanted to minimize the uh, the amount of thinking. But you're absolutely right. Like he was the guys because of the amount of work he ran deck, right? Even though that deck wasn't very good the whole time, in my opinion, it didn't matter because he was like the most prepared man with a Swiss Army knife instead of like some dude with a pistol, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Elliot, yeah, do you have any questions for John re- as regarding like the deck? Uh, yeah, this is uh, less a question for me to learn because it's something I had asked earlier, but I think it's uh, maybe important for us is that. Um, do you think that Eldrazi Tron is good as a deck in terms of its main strategy being proactive? Or do you think it's just the right time for its prison pieces, like the main deck chalices, the Karn the Great Creator, lining up or and to spoil it? Like, is it both? So it's an interesting question. I would say both, but I would lean uh, uh, first as being just the right, <clears throat> right power level with a right proactive plan. I think the power level was very high, one of the highest. Um, certainly the uh, effectiveness of Etron uh, waxes and wanes with how effective Chalice of the Void is. But uh, I can't understate how good Karn the Great Creator is as toolbox, as a win condition, and as a nut uh, turn three Tron payoff. And just having that density of uh, payoffs that can win the game on the spot has been incredible. Um, certainly, like, Ensnaring Bridge is a very good card right now. And obviously, the Lattice Lock is uh, in most of the times. Um, but Chalice on 1 has been pretty good for me. Or is uh, Infect. Like, Infect, literally half their card is, like, one, one drop. Their deck uh, ceases to function. Um, in fact, in my quarterfinals match, uh, game 1 on the draw, I mowed to 4 against Saron Infect, and my uh, hand was Land, Land, Chalice, and Bellas. I won that game, because Chalice is that good. <clears throat> and yeah, against Urza, you can put on zero, etc. And I'm Burn as well. So um, I do think that Chalice is pretty well positioned right now, and that's a big part of why Eldrazi Tron is doing so well. Um, I, it will be meta-dependent, but I am very confident that Etron is... A, a appropriate power level to be a mainstay of verse for modern, and in fact, uh, I'm highly considering buying uh, the Etru have as an evergreen deck for me to play. Um, face uh, games credit. <laughs> um, I asked you this last week, and and you talked about how right now, and you mentioned this last episode too, where 
you know, it was it was the deck of choice of of the top trophy guy. Um, and I asked you whether it was like underrated or overrated or under the radar. Did you get a sense of what how people respected it in or looked at it, regarded it in in the local scene? Perhaps not in the local scene. Uh, I am writing an article um, that'll like put together my thoughts regarding the preparation of the event. But I, I guess to some. Um, I think paper always has a disproportionate amount of blue, white, uh, green, black, X, and uh, burn decks. And I think, I believe Eldrazi Tron is favored against all of them. I also got the <laughs> inkling that um, the Seattle spikes uh, be very high on like uh, Urza or uh, Eldrazi Tron or Blues those. And just like, uh, you know, some sort of like rumbling from the uh, underground cabal decks like Shadow and Shadow uh, Infect and Druid were all, you know, as much um, <clears throat> a field of like blue, white, uh, and increased shadow and infect just wasn't that appetizing for me, and that was a big part of why I actually switched off uh, Neoform. Uh, in fact, I have like sixty-seven percent win rate from since the printing of Once Upon a Time. So it's not like the deck is bad. I still believe in the deck. I think it's a mainstay, a great call to surprise a metagame with. But um, I had to take a pretty disciplined uh, choice to just lay down the Neoform. Uh, I think my pro- I trusted my process. Think thought that the um, the deck had a high power level, and you know it was it was just ripe. For this metagame, um, in this uh, particular paper metagame, so um, that was my thought process, and I, I think it's good uh, because this leads to my other question, the interesting one. I mean, more than a month ago, or, or you had a Twitter debate with with my man, D. Rude, David Rude, uh, former, uh, I guess, Canadian legend of the game, and of course, the narrative now it's like, oh, John, John plays. Finally plays a real deck, obviously gets there, and you can't escape this. Like you can't, you drop the deal form, you play a quote unquote real deck, and you finally get get there again a second time. Um, but but you told me privately, like you don't think your process has changed. You just played what your data showed to to be the best deck in your hands. Yeah, I'm very data driven. Um, for those people who do um follow me i like i said like i'm relatively new to the comp scene i don't like i think i'm a, i'm a smart guy and i think i can adapt very well but you know there's something that you can't you can't you just can't replace experience with so i've been trying to compensate for that with like a lot of data data mining and you know data interpretation as well as preparation and those followers uh, of mine will note that i like to tweet a lot of like top 32 break, metagame breakdowns or macro archetype break so <clears throat> that, that's that, that's definitely something that I do a lot in helping me. Uh, um, in terms of the claim of uh, you know the final up plays a real deck and he won. Like if you recall, like the the only other time I've really um, uh, registered a real deck in Comp REL is uh, Dredge, and obviously I won uh, Star City Games Vegas with Cyrus and Marcus. So that that really won't help me with the uh, m- the argument that you know if Final Nub doesn't play a meme deck and plays real decks all the time, he'll win all the time. But like the the deck choices I make are conscious and data driven choices. You know, like I will maintain that I I believe I have the best seventy three cards um, for Hogak Summer the uh, GP Vegas. Uh, with Neoform, and you know, I posted uh, my thought process. I I think it was sound, and I, I have people like ask me like, you know, uh, your your thought process is sound, but Neoform looks like meme. Can I really trust you, kind of thing? But you know, uh, small sample size, but uh, a bunch of people were like 
X X four or better. You know, I played a Neo Four Mirror in GP Vegas at ten and one. So, and it had the highest win rate among all archetypes, as uh, per Toby Henke at GP Vegas. So, I I genuinely thought that Neo Form was the best deck then. Grisho Brand obviously it carried me it carried me towards a the um the PT path with the GP Toronto top four. So, and I was very adept with it. I mean. A deck deck selection is like a function of a few things, right? It's like how 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 powerful is it? Uh, what is the place in the meta game, and what is your pilot proficiency with it? And you can't just look at the power deck power level like in isolation and decide whether that's the deck for you. Like I can't play control and I won't play control because I always go go to time and I don't know how. And that's fine. That's a limitation I I can accept. So you really gotta like look at it holistically and and think about critically about what deck you uh, select. And I I think like. I haven't really memed in any uh, tournaments, if I'm being honest. Like every deck selection I make is, uh, you know, me thinking that I have this is the best uh, the chance for me to win. So I don't know. Um, I mean, I'll I, play I, me- I forget. Go I ahead. completely forgot that at Magic Fest Montreal, though, you played a deck that was just too far beyond your ability. And was oh God, like, the best deck. The the Urza Emery Ascent uh, Jeskai Ascendancy <laughs> deck. I I genuinely wanted to play it. I thought it was good. Tangrams helped me out. I bought the cards, and you know the, before the PTQ, I went uh, played in a double up, and I went to time. Uh, I lost on the fiftieth minute, <laughs> down one nothing, and that's when I knew I knew like I couldn't keep tr- keep track of all the side triggers, all the Sahili triggers, all the looting on the plus one plus ones, and logistically I couldn't handle it, and that's fine. You know, eventually I, my skills will catch up to that. And but you know, you gotta like I think it's a skill to accept your limitations as well. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's that easy. Like I respect David Rude and what what he said. I understand where he's coming from, but I think it, there's a lot more to deck selection. Just looking at the decks in a vacuum, you might. Yeah, I just love it. I just thought of that because that's an example where you played the consensus best deck, most broken deck, and you just you just couldn't do it. Like you just Andy, Andy, and Elliot. Any more questions? Uh, f- oh, I got a question. So, John, this was your first PTQ Top 8, right? Like, I couldn't believe it when I asked you that. Uh, what did you, like, did you feel the pressure? And uh, what did you do to, like, combat the pressure, like, as the rounds went on? Uh, yeah, it was my first PTQ Top 8, and I've had, like, a bunch of, like, 6003s and, like, 7002, like, ninth place on Breakers type of things on Magic Online. And, uh, yeah, I- I'd be lying if I didn't say that I was uh, a bit anxious, I-, I was a bit nervous, and uh yeah it, it's um i breathe pretty hard when i'm nervous and uh it's uh so, so, some people are born competitors and born uh you know born reactors to pressure and like they thrive in it and i still got a lot of work uh ahead of myself to do that i understand but um yeah just like deep breath and just like trying to like disengage um uh from like make even making the smallest of talks with my with my friends i went out into hall i put my headphones on and try to like get get pumped up you know, listen to some Eminem or some uh, metal, whatever, whatever my, whatever I'm feeling at the moment. And uh, yeah, once uh, I'm, I'm in the match, like I'm zoned in, and uh, I don't have to think about it anymore. I'm not nervous anymore. And you know, you, you just gotta keep focus. And you know, one of the things I've realized is like, you know, sleep hygiene during the tournaments. You know, what what your how, how your how fit you are and how how in shape you are during the tournament or before the tournament is very important. As well as like just like keeping your focus in between rounds in these like fifteen round GPs. And I've been trying to practice like better like in between round hygiene and sleep hygiene and travel hygiene and stuff like that. And uh, those small edges I think do add up. And uh, yeah, so if anyone um, tries, you know. 
actually, I've had a few people come up to me and say uh, they really appreciate my work uh, on Twitter. Uh, I've had someone, uh, a new brand follower, um, finish up 6-2. He came up and said hi to me. So shout out to you, Taylor, as well as Sean, my round seven uh, Infect opponent, who, um, who who started seven months ago in Magic, and he almost made top eight of a Comp REL uh, event. So shout out to you, Sean. And I know he's a loyal listener, listener as well. And yeah, just a bunch of people that uh, came up and talked to me. I, I, I thought that was very cool. But uh, I, with that being said, I hope uh, you guys don't get offended if I'm um, in my corner or outside the hall um, listening to music. Uh, um, I can't really keep focus myself. And yeah, for uh, so my top eight was kind of weird. So I was uh, in the finals, like just as the first round of top eight finished in the other bracket, and it was about to be like a green black cat versus green black cat mirror. And I was like, well, I'm going to be here for like an hour. So like I just started playing like games with them. And then uh, like maybe before, like in game three, I stopped and I watched a bit. And then I kind of just keep like trying to think positive things to myself and like think about like what the avenues are for me to win. Because I think if I get negative, it'll just be putting too much pressure on myself. And uh, especially with uh, with my PTQ, I thought it was I was pretty sure it was the only PTQ I could play based on my work and school schedule. So like. If I was going to qualify, I had to win that one. So I tried to just like be positive to myself and like think good thoughts, and it actually helps me out a lot. Yeah, that's totally understandable. And I, I think I think the really the the biggest takeaway is like everyone handles these things differently, and you just gotta make peace and find what works best for you. And like something that uh, Andy does like may not work for me, and I, I probably wouldn't have worked for me if I played games uh, or, you know, just play like PyGal or whatever during, in between uh, uh, semifinal rounds, for example. So, yeah, it's, it's we really got to try to do what's, what, what, what you know works for Yeah, and now the, the pressure's on for Elliot. I, f- I felt a similar thing to like what Elliot f- probably feels right now. Uh, so Kale and Devin, my like two of my best friends in the whole world, are qualified for the pro. And I know I have like four shots at that pro and like i lost in finals lost in top four and like 11 for the gp and like the pressure was unbelievable the fear of missing out the fomo uh like really it really brought me down it was like to the point where like i'm playing in the finals and i'm like i'm thinking about it all the time and it, it's really important to do your best not to think about it. there's so much playing to be had and that you can should focus your energy on that so i hope uh i hope elliot doesn't think about all the pressure because I think uh, I think he can do it. I think he's got a good opportunity, especially because we're going to have the sickest deck for the else. Tell us where the fountain of youth is, Elliot. Tell me and John. We- <laughs> <laughs> I I will just say it's it's sort of weird being in this position for me, because like when I like for the first few years that I played Magic, and I've only been playing for like five years ish, um, like sparingly would anyone i know qualify for the pro tour and then when they did it was like a cool thing where i was like glued to the coverage refreshing mashing like oh is this one person doing well did they like i need to know as soon as their draft mash finishes whether they're 2-1 or um and now like the past few pro tours and and even this upcoming one like it convinced me to yolo book a flight to play lcqs I just know like a dozen people. So every, like, yes, there's like a ton of pressure that I'm putting on myself uh, to qualify for this one because it would be so cool to be, to be playing in one with Andy and John and, and the other. But it's just like, I don't know. I'm sure there's going to be a dozen people I know at the next one. 
<laughs> everyone seems to qualify. I'm, I'm, I've been blessed with friends who are just absolute killers. So, uh, if if not PT Phoenix, I'll catch you at uh, or your money back. <laughs> or your money back. Can I can I just like make a comment on how sick this like last chance qualifier um format is? So those for those who don't know, starting in 2020 in uh, GP Phoenix or the uh, Nagoya or Brussels, I believe, um on Thursday you you have sit on goes basically where 32 uh, it'll fill with 32 people and it'll run as soon as it uh, fills and you only need to go 5-0 to uh, get into the pro tour at the last minute i think that's like pretty sick and honestly like i was going to you know x1 drop and re, re rejoin just to try to get into the pro tour just for that chance like obviously i can't get to do that now you know woes me but like you know in poker like the best stories are you know chris moneymaker won a satellite tournament to get into the world series of poker main event and he won like Two million, you know. I think th- this type of like, you know, like comeback or like underdog story is like really cool, and I really hope like um, Elliot uh, is one of the few uh, few people who gets blessed with the invite. But yeah, I think I think this format is very very cool. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a, a few and far between. Will you find an opportunity where you're to qualify for the pro? And if you consider yourself on level with the average player in these tournaments, you're better than three percent to qualify. So. I mean, obviously, that's that's far from a given. And even if you if you have time to play three or four of them, I don't know how exactly a schedule would pan out. Your odds still aren't that good. But consider compare that to the piece where, like, I know Toronto, specific California, where they were having four. You know, your odds have have shifted drastically. So it it is super cool, and and I'm I'm lucky that I've been rewarded for my YOLO book. Unlike like the previous LCQs, I think were just one-offs. So having having rebuys multiple of my uh, investment. If you play thirty-three of them, you can't miss, right? What if I uh, what if I just find thirty-one people? <laughs> <laughs> just buy them all. Buy, just buy thirty-one a third. So. <laughs> so John, I'm not sure if you know, but that two a.m. Tim Hortons story is a PTQ top four that I was in. That uh, at midnight they're like, you got to leave the venue. So they made us like walk across the street with our draft decks. And go into a Tim Hortons. I ordered a muffin, and then we sat down and we played a top four, and then the finals finished. That, that's a, that's stuff of legends. Yeah, and then there's people like Daniel Fournier on Twitter saying, "Please give me back the 400 player PTQs." No, please no. <laughs> yeah, the, these were PTQs where like X1 might miss. Uh, I finished eight. Oh yeah, I I finished that. seventh in the. I remember this. That's terrifying. One X11 made it. Yeah, so having to five zero, I'll I'll accept having to five zero. Thing, especially even when you can compare it to the Moto PTQs, which are not quite four hundred players all of the time. But if you're not five zero in those, you have a very slim chance to make the top eight, and you know you end up having to win ten plus matches. All you know five zero, it's a trophy. Who hasn't won a trophy before? All right, um, John, well, you mentioned Yama Killer and. Uh... Over the same weekend, he also qualified online via Pioneer using a deck that he says that he got basically from Jerry. Um, yeah, do you, do you know much from Yama Killer outside of the uh, Etron stuff that that he has done well with? Like, is he basically an up and comer, or has always been a online killer that that people? I feel, I feel like he's always been like an online uh, like epitome of, of an online killer slash grinder here. Uh, you know, I've been watching him like for like maybe a few months, and you know, I just he he routinely like 
quad boxes or triple cues like you know saturday challenges or ptqs and whatnot and he does it with like different decks as well so he clearly has the range to be good at you know like magic in general you know he's won modern challenges with humans he's uh, done very well with scales he won a uh, modern challenge with uh, etron uh last month and uh yeah i i think he's a very well-rounded player he, he's a good streamer and i think he he quality content and you know what like watching him really is the reason that you know like i was on the fence about etron you know i'm like oh lol you know etron turn three three two who, who cares kind of thing but just like watching him like win challenges and go on like 14-0 runs and all that and that's that's why um that's why i subbed got his uh guide and started playing so he's the reason he's you can say that he's the reason that i won this ptq but yeah he's a very he's a very good player like a lot of the online grinders already know him and yeah, like he's. I wouldn't say he's an up up and comer. He's already. He, he was second place. He got second place against uh, Michael Burnett in GPLA uh, with Hardened Scale. Uh, he's. It's not his first time on the Pro Tour either. So yeah, he's. I, in my opinion, he's a quite a good player and one of the best grinders out there. So someone to watch for, compete with you at. Absolutely. Um. So like we 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 skipped a week because uh, of the Black Friday stuff and and sort of news was sort of slowing down but then it ramped up and and then we had the Arena Mythic Championship which one of my best friends Alex Hayne played at to try to keep his spot in the MPL and and despite making day 2 it was still um he was in a tough spot just because people ahead of him in the P- MPL were like right above him they all had buys so he had to you know to steal their spot he had to outperform them and then People behind him, most of them that, that were able to catch him, most of them also made day two. So someone like Martin Juza ended up jumping over him, and um, there was a, some some other player that jumped over him, and so it was uh, pretty tense. Uh, every match, every single match mattered, and uh, yeah, I was I was rooting, and, and unfortunately, he gets kicked out of the MPL into the Rivals League, uh, finishing I think like twenty second. Or something like that, and pretty crazy sweat. Even for people that were basically ahead of them, but missed day two, they had to like uh, Lugowski. He had to like hope that everyone behind him whiffs on day two completely. Um, Andy Elliott, did, did you catch any of it? I did watch a little bit. I was more so following along and not. You, Andy? Uh, I, w- I watched quite a bit of it, and uh, basically, I was watching to see how Alex did and. Uh, my favorite story of the whole weekend was just how it was I thought great and was my favorite player only because Alex didn't do that well. <laughs> he didn't earn it. Um, yeah, keep keep in, keep in mind that Allie Warfield, who who does uh, shout out to her, who does write for Face to Face, and uh, Keith uh, today uh, tweeted out that she had her article out. I just read it before the podcast. Very very insightful uh, piece. How she prepared and what she was be, went on to finish. Excellent. I think it's 14th or 16th. I think it's. I think it was very interesting. How? Uh, yeah, she's really killing it. Ellie, do you know why they do this thing where they stop, like the players stop playing once they have accrued a certain amount of losses i think at a certain point you're like mathematically no matter how many like even it was i believe it was eight rounds on day one and five wins locked you so technically you could go four four after you received your fourth loss but instead you were just eliminated um so i i I guess it was just required by the tournament i have no idea but i don't know if like it 
matters. Like, I don't think 4-4 could possibly have made anyone Anyone making it would have lost the last round. So 0-4 sir, is sort of a weird structure, though. The the In general, these tournaments are two separate Swiss tournaments followed by a double elimination top eight. I don't know. It's yeah. a bit hard to follow. Right. I, I didn't find it like I didn't find the Swiss parts that hard to follow because it's just like because they reiterated so many times, like once you get to five wins, you're in day two. And like once you get to X losses, you're out. It's like makes more sense to like the average viewer, I think, than being like this person's uh, a five two. They're mathematically locked for day two and uh, but they still have to play their next round. Yeah, I, I understand definitely the, you know, five wins and you're locked. But I inter- like compare it to the arena qualifier weekend where like your tiebreakers carry over but only in like some cases and in this it's basically you play a swiss tournament on day one to qualify for not quite day two it's qualifying for like a different swiss uh, i don't know it, it's i think it's a bit harder to follow than say a pro tour where that's more clear cut of you have the barrier to make day two after that, anything is only going to help you for day two. Then you play day two, and towards the end, we'll suss out what record you need for top eight. And but maybe it's just because I've only watched four arena four T. Pro- I think okay, you got your discussion just made me realize, yeah, because they they don't carry over. That's why you can just like there's no point for the guy to play more games on day one for day two. You guys are right. I guess like the the reason I I find it I found it puzzling. Is that for for day two, like the the impact this has can have a huge can shift completely how people finish for the MPL because then you have like people that I think Ali Warfield or, or other players that did like three four uh, on day two they were able to finish in in the top sixteen because some people like they just oh four day two so they don't even play any of the extra matches to be able to endanger that top 16 slot so you could you could go three four and finish it in the top 16 and then be able to jump ahead in the um in the mpl race and that that i found somewhat interesting that uh in some cases go ahead that's sort of how it works anyway with regular tiebreakers like winning early matters so much more than winning late so like in the end, it like probably produces a relatively similar result, like over a large sample size. But like, I guess like in this one tournament, it could really change a lot of stuff. I think. But the, I think. I think if ahead. you start, okay, you're right. Ah, uh, I think if you, well, start, if you start, if you start 04, you're not going to do well anyway. Your breakers are going to be terrible compared to everyone else for us. But at least you get the shot. To- yeah, which might matter if you're like in this spot where any every single point matters for you to keep. Your 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 mythic point like level relatively against uh, other people, um, but yeah, you're right. If you start well early, your tiebreakers are a lot better, etc. You're right. Um, but here, I, I guess it is a, an even bigger edge because you're you're ensuring yourself that you're going to play more games as well. So I, but I now now I know why they do it because of, of the tiebreakers. The idea of the buys is all is a little hard to swallow i think i mean at like the the totally macro level obviously they won a lot of matches to earn the buys so it's not quite as stupid as i'm about to say but seth manfield made top eight with buy into day two and then going four three so he had like a 57 percent win rate to make top eight of a pro tour compared to 
you normally need like 75% to top eight a pro tour over 16 matches or, or to top eight a GP, you need over 80% win rate in your matches. So it's like sort of absurd to, to say it like I just did. And I could definitely understand if you're someone who's t- maybe you play magic at the kitchen table level and have to be brought with big magic, the gathering tournament. Uh, I think the, the, over, but maybe that's, something they're they're going to give into playing an ad nauseum on the stream every time instead of just these early ones but that is something that i think could be improved i think the mpl split rewarding buys is but that's so the the, the guy that went from like i guess rags to riches or from nobody to to mpl was uh chris kvartek i guess he's like the chris moneymaker of the story john if you will um i don't know have you followed this like he he would be like the Chris Moneymaker of this whole story. Yeah, yeah. Chris Moneymaker Kavartek. <laughs> he did make a lot of money. <laughs> John? Yeah, I was actually thinking about someone else. So uh as I oh. understand Chris Kavartek uh was um was uh you know it's kind of racks to riches to the, into the MPL, but I linked it in our um what is it called? Uh I linked it in our group chat that but there was someone in that got into the uh, rivals league, uh, rivals uh, league or a group where you know I saw a Twitter uh, post saying that uh, I'll, I'll dig up a name while we um, while we talk, but he basically made a Twitter post saying that you know a year ago I was at the FNM, I was at the kitchen table, I didn't know uh, much about Magic, but Arena gave me the chance to uh, compete. I made the MCQ weekend um, twice. I went to two MCs and I did very well with it. And now a year after being like an FNM hero or whatnot, I'm in the rivals and it's really unreal. So that's that's who I thought you guys were talking about. But you know, I, I understand that uh, Chris Kavartek is a more prominent and visible. Um, result of this like Chris Moneymaker effect, but I don't want to dismiss this uh, person either. Um, I don't quite recall the name, but yeah, there, there's definitely someone like that. I've seen those tweets as well. Um, El- Elia, I just wanted you to expand on something that, that I, I've been thinking about in my head because uh, of our last episode where I, where I asked your opinion about what people thought about discretionary invites, and, and you had mentioned that even if, like Tyler Nightingale was talking about how there's this popular opinion amongst the pros to not have these invitees be able to crew mythic points. And I think uh, you said like it's going to even out, even it all out in the end. But when people talk about how this one tournament can affect so many people's livelihoods, do you sympathize with this aspect? I mean, I can definitely sympathize at the small scale, the the coin flip of whether or not one person does or doesn't receive a discretionary invite is humongous. Look at just like LSV, who's you know definitely one of the most prolific players of all time, uh, missed on Worlds by a very very slim margin. I, I think if Chris Kavartek won the the Mythic Championship, LSV would have gotten a World slot. Uh, on top of that, he's also in Rivals, uh, and it's a position where you know, one discretionary invite is is the difference between LSV qualifying for Worlds and the MPL instead of being rivals and and missing. Uh, and you know, obviously, he he did receive discretionary invites earlier in the year, so you know that's maybe a bit of of where I said it's like a balancing act. But uh, I can definitely understand being in his position where 
he received the invites early in the season where, you know, maybe the, the goals and what's needed isn't as defined. And now he's in a position where he's on the outside looking in completely. His destiny is not in his hands anymore. It's in up to the, the fate of other people, depending on how they perform. Uh, so I could definitely, again, see on that small scale, whether or not you get an invite is going to be huge. But, you know, consider that too. Now, he is in the rivals. He has opportunities to accrue more mythic points next year. Maybe he gets a discretionary invite for a, an arena MC he's, he's otherwise going to miss. So when you're one player who is, is good enough to accrue the results anyway, I think eventually you'll get kind of your dues in terms of eventually you'll get the, the, the invite you're missing. Eventually you'll, you'll be able to reap the benefits of it. Um, is and it's the same thing I said the other week. Is discretionary invites awarding mythic points the perfect system? No, I, it just can't be in my mind. But are discretionary invites very important? And are they a net positive for the game? Yeah, I, I you know, there's there's a bunch of positives towards them, and it, in my opinion, outweighs the negatives. So I'm. I'm fine with the system continuing the way it is. And if, if someone at Wizards comes up with an idea to make it more balanced and more fair in terms of the entire scope of people qualifying for roles in the MPL, then all the better. I see, I see John nodding. It's just like I, I can't relate to the people that are most impacted. I don't know how they feel because some of them basically, they, they, they make their career of it this year because they were in the MPL. And um yeah i i don't know like how to feel in their spot when like a tournament just can seriously I, again i don't know what what other side income they might have or, or backup plans but i can seriously change the way they're they plan to live their life like next year right yeah i mean when they announced the mpl everyone's reaction was wow it's so so cool that people are making i i off the top of my head, I think it's like 80,000 US dollars a year. That's incredible. And, you know, that's that would obviously be insane if I was offered that opportunity, but could I really take it? Could I, could I risk putting my entire life on hold where if I miss the MPL the following year, uh, I have, I'm back to square one? You know, maybe I'm in a position where I can take a year off work or something like that. I don't know. But it's such a huge risk, and I don't know if everyone's in the position to be able to take it. And I can only hope that the, the people in the MPL who, who missed out or are now in rivals have that backup, have the, the safety net. Um, because obviously $80,000 a year to play magic and as well as streaming income on top of that is good money, but it's not, it's not money to sustain yourself for multiple years. So they're going to have to be doing something else. And I can only hope that it, it works out. Inside joke between us, but I just imagine you showing up one year later at your company. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. I mean, when they accepted it, they it was a risk that they had to consider when accepting it. Uh, that is true. And the people in the MPL, um, like the the initial contract was 75k um, initially, but they had all these appearance uh, fees and uh, bonuses, and then. Also, as far as I know, they weren't really sure of the details of all the tournaments that were going to be held, all the Mythic Championships, how big they were, what the minimum 
prize you're going to get if you finish in last place. And if you add everything up for a lot of them, you're looking at six figures USD. And I've talked to Alex about different revenue that, that he's been getting. And that's, this is my impression of it all. Definitely a lot of good money to be made in that one year, but like, that's interesting. If it was offered to you, Elliot, like, do you quit your job? Do you try? Well, you couldn't really do both unless like you streamed every hour after work, you just come home to meet that, the quota they required. I mean, I don't know. I don't, would you have taken it? I would definitely try. I would definitely try. (laughs) You know, Within like an hour of of reading the email, I'd be in my boss's office saying like, "So can we work something out here?" <laughs> but like, we don't even know what information. Maybe you have the insider information from Alex of of what concept they had for the future when they were initially offered it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, right. we have the rival system now, so there is that is a bit of a safety net in terms of you know maybe you can do the rivals as you bridge back into a regular job. But <laughs> but it, you make it, the NPL again, and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, this is this is far from like professional athlete money where you get paid millions of dollars and if you break a leg then like, you know, it's not the end of the world even if you can't play your sport anymore. This is, you know, a lot of money for the terms of magic, but right. it's not enough to sustain yourself long term if you only have a career that lasts a year or two. You have to be doing something. Um I could see John would actually try to hook up a stream where he, he works, obviously, like right after six, he just runs someplace as a stream set up. But, but Andy, what about you? Would you have given up, um, I guess, going to school? Would I, would I give up going to school? Yes. Would I quit my job? Yes. <laughs> In a second. See you later. <laughs> no hard feelings. No, I, I would definitely quit my job and I would, uh, Probably like start doing just pure online school or something. Yeah, that's but like I'm basically done anyway. So, um, we're we're about to wrap up. Uh, so last question for you, John. I mean, we talked about the dream. We talked about Chris Moneymaker, but do you think that's gonna drive the players? Well, I think the flip side is that like some people, it will drive players, as we both know in poker. You could say like scrubs like me and you it drove us to to pursue a dream that we weren't going to make it right we, we couldn't make and it's going to drive these magic players for a goal that they have no chance for right just like we talked i think we talked about this for um rivals before they announced like fractional invites that that rivals might be something that some players reach for but realistically they could never reach um but i guess overall that positive for the game john <laughs> I think so, and if if it's framed and like advertised that way, like I can't see it as anything but a positive. So like, let me. So while you guys have been talking, I've been doing research. So let me set the stage for you. Like, the rivals uh, group is still very prestigious, right? It has like noted heavyweights like uh, Lucas Espoberto, Ben Stark, Kai Bude, Sifka, like uh, LLSV, like all these guys. And the guy I was talking to you, you guys about is named uh, Theo Moutier. I, I believe he's a French gentleman. So I'm, I'm looking at this tweet now. So he's just like, so I guess it's official now. I will be part of the Rivals League for 2020 partial season. It still feels really weird to me since I was basically a nobody earlier this year, almost only playing on FNMs and standard showdown. Standard showdowns. And then he goes on to say, oh, Magic Arena changed everything. And, you know, I uh, I qualified twice in the MS- MCQ weekends and did really well. And here I am. So 
like I, if I was Wizards, I would totally hammer this home. It's like um, Theo went from playing at your local game store and being on FNM, FNM guy and played Arena, crushed on Arena, the new uh, premier client that they're trying to promote. And now he went from an uh, L, uh, LGS hero to a Rivals uh, player and potentially like within reach for MPL. I think that's very inspiring for a lot of like grinders and like the semi grinders. And we've talked about it. Like you don't need to necessarily um, sell the dream. You need to sell the illusion and the hope that you can make it. And there's there's a bunch <laughs> of grinders out there that that wants that hope. That's why silver and gold uh, level pro were pro levels were very appetizing, right? And if you are if this guy can go from an LGS to the rivals within one year. Obviously, he got very lucky, but I, I'm pretty sure he put in a lot of work as well. Like, like, why can't you do it? Why can't it? Why can't it be me? Why can't that be you, Car? You tell me. I think I think you're right. I think out of all the stories, if they have the budget to do one of those cool, um, like bio videos or whatever that I've, I'm seeing SCG roll out for the Players Championship, especially Edgar's that I saw today, I mean, they should focus on these two. Like, have Chris Kavartik say or this guy um, that say, "Hey, I started at FNM and and." Look at me now, basically. So I think that would actually be pretty powerful because I don't really need to know these personalities and, and who they are as a person, but just that story of going from FNM, because we've all played at FNM, and then getting there to Rivals or MPL uh, is actually really compelling. So you're right. Just like how they tried to, Poker Stars try to milk Chris Moneymaker for all he's worth. Uh, they should milk these guys for all they're worth. Um, no time to cover yeah. it this week, but uh, I don't know if you. I've been messaging you privately about like the the MTGO changes, and and the system. I mean, we will expand on this next week, but is there a, a summary you can make about how people should feel? Should they feel happy, excited? Um, it motivated someone at, at my work, a, a colleague, to go back to the grind. He's even started a Google document of how. He's going to try to to hit up a showcase, one of those uh, MTGO showcases. So what are your quick thoughts? Okay, let me give you a TLDR uh, in the interest of time here. So gone are the PTQs that you can buy into. So this was the appeal of people like me who doesn't really have time to grind, but wants to play in this like premier event to, uh, every weekend or every other weekend to try to queue into the PT. So what they've done is streamline both the PTQ field as well as the mocks field. And so to do that, to play in PTQs to, and to play in like these mocks events, um, you need to accrue uh, qualifying points or QPs. And those who have been playing Magic Online for a while will notice these like preliminaries and these dailies, basically. So what they've done is every day at the various set previously set uh, times, you'll have like a pioneer pr uh, preliminary or a legacy preliminary. And going 4-1 or 5-0 will get you some QPs or qualifying points. The other thing to note is that the mock seasons are divided into four quarters now, so you don't have to wait the whole year. You don't have to battle it out in the uh, mocks uh, leaderboard to try to make it and sustain it within a year, which I kind of like because it's shortened. You have like a set, a definite uh, timeline which you need to work hard towards. And at the end of every quarter, you have a showcase where the top eight uh, top players will come into Seattle, Washington, I believe, to go to the uh, mock show uh, showcase uh, in person, I believe, which is, I think is really cool. Um, there's going to be like other things like the uh, the challenge 
the like the last chance qualifier for the mocks uh, near the end of the season and whatnot. It'll take too much time to get into it in one uh, go, but um, the the discourse is whether this helps a certain subset of people. Uh, it doesn't help the people who doesn't have time and wants to you know uh, go for these like one shot PTQs and they they can buy into it. Uh, because you can't PTQ with money anymore. You can only PTQ with QPs. The um, the benefit is for uh, online grinders who have time to grind through leagues and earn these QPs. So these PTQs will no longer be 300, 400 people. And those are nightmares because the prizes will not have uh, scaled. But because these PTQs now have like a barrier, which is earning qualifying points, these PTQs will be much uh, smaller size and better EV for the grinders. So that's like nutshell, but there's a lot more nuance to that. And those who are interested, I would invite you to look at the uh, Wizards of the Coast announcement um, made earlier this week. Uh, one quick question then. From the first scan, do you think, so for a person like you, is this good or bad? I think it's, I think it's quite bad. Uh, well, I think it's mostly quite bad, and let me tell you why. So I have a set work schedule, and because, for example, on fr- every Friday at 7 p.m. sharp, there will be a preliminary uh, modern event, I can plan around that. And I can plan, like, because all these preliminary events and daily, uh, daily events have set times, I can plan around uh, my schedule with that and play in it. The unfortunate thing is, because I can't be playing Magic Online every day, all day, I, I won't be able to accrue the qualifying points to play in as many PTQs as I want. Whereas right now, you can pay $30 or 30 tickets or 40 tickets to mm-hmm. enter directly into these monstrous 400 uh, people PTQs. So you can't please everyone, but uh, overall, I believe this is a net positive. What? That's what Elliot said about uh, discretionary invites. <laughs> but uh, the world we live in. Not well, everything is only positive. <laughs> What I do love is that, I mean, even though Watsi has made a lot of decisions that just make us scratch our heads to, like, how could they have possibly found any reason to, to make certain adjustments they've made? There is one thing that is true about them is that they are quick to switch the system pretty fast through the feedback. And, and we're constantly, like, FPL and then Rivals League, like, immediately introduced. And then who knows what the system will look like uh, next year. So. Lots to talk about, lots of exciting stuff, and and I mean, like too much. We're gonna get our spoiler. We are going to get a spoiler for for Theros. Uh, man, forget the set beyond death. Uh, I, I guess preview cards will probably be start rolling out next month. Um, and uh, but we got a bunch of preview cards today, like the the new lands. Okay, we'll finish with this. What do you think about the new lands, Andy? I love them. I love Pokemon lands. People are like, oh, they look like Pokemon energy cards. I was like, hey, well, they look sick. <laughs> Pokemon energy cards are dope. <laughs> uh, I think they look really cool. Yeah, same here. Elliot? Uh, I'll never use them, but what? I'm sure a lot of people will love them. What? They are I a love, net positive. I love my basic lands. <laughs> I love, yeah, exactly. I love my basic lands. I'll never use these. Uh, <laughs> some, some goobers will love them, like Andy. John, stock up, stock up with your store cred on these. Um, I, I think these are nice. These are sweet. Um, all right. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for everyone for listening uh, to that. Come up to us during events and, and tell us how much uh, you guys love the show or message me or, or tweet at me, everything. 
extremely grateful uh, for supporting the show for so long. And that's why I'm, I'm always excited. Like I plans always fall through with my different responsibilities, but uh, I miss um, going out to these events because Alex told me how many uh, people at the, at the arena mythic championship came up to him and thanked him uh, for the podcast that I do with him. And I just miss going to, to any GP that that is not like the Montreal one where uh, Americans from certain states that I didn't, wouldn't expect to listen to first strike uh, thank me or, or people tweet at me. Hey, I'm, I've been a huge fan. Uh, people have started randomly. I guess maybe it was like the Alex effect or, or John doing well. But this week, a bunch of people added me on Facebook and, and said they really love first strike and, and love my work in general. So, I mean, I missed that. So I hope I can make the cards line up right uh, finally to to make it to to Phoenix or, or any future events with you guys. So that would be sweet. And uh, with that, again, thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you all next week where we break down preview cards, more preview cards, MTGO, and, and other stuff that we're working on. So until then, ciao.